Good evening, my name is Noah Palafox, and you're listening to the Nonfiction Podcast, a podcast dedicated to studying and evaluating black culture in America, racism, and black politics. So, on today's episode, we have a guest speaker, Russell Metalus, a Haitian immigrant who grew up in New Jersey and New York on the East Coast, and um, has been living her life in currently the West Coast. So we will be asking her a few questions based on um, her background, her experience growing up in America, and versus her experience growing up in Haiti, and all sorts of fun. <clears throat> so, hello, Russell. Hey, Noah. Good to have you. Thanks for being on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Of course, of course. So... Um, <clears throat> I'm just going to start with some basic, uh, background questions to have the audience get to recognize you. Um, where were you born exactly? I was born in a small town called, um, Guamor, and that's from the country of Haiti. Nice, nice. And, uh, when were you born? I was born in February, in the month of February, and I will not say the year. <laughs> hey, it's all good. Um... What is your current occupation? I teach. I teach um, a French in the language lab at um, O'Farrell um, uh, Charter School. Nice, nice. And um, <clears throat> please tell me the full names of your parents. My, my mother's name is um, Virginie Metelus. My dad's um, name is Filani. Damis, so my mom's name is um, Virginie Damis, but her maiden name is Metelus, and so that's where I get my, I went back to my, um, I, I, I chose to take my grandfather's last name, um, because, you know, he he was a very significant um, person in my life, and so um, I chose to to drop the uh, Damis, and then to pick up Metelus. Nice. That's really, that's a very interesting story um how many do you have any siblings at all brothers or sisters or i do i do i have um an older sister an older brother and um two younger sisters yeah and they um my older brother he lives in georgia and um my my two younger sisters live in in florida and my older sister lives in Redlands. Okay. Um, so by the sounds of it, it sounds like you guys are pretty you guys are pretty spread out. How did that become about? <laughs> you know, um we, we grew up pretty close and you know, people get married and you know, they have their own family, um, their own families and then so um my 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 brother's fiance lived in in Georgia so when they got married he moved to Georgia my my two younger siblings moved to uh, younger sisters moved to Florida because um, at that time my, my, my parents my older sister lived in Florida so she wanted my parents to live closer to her and so she she brought you know my two other younger sisters they moved to Florida to be with them and um now she lives in Redlands because 
uh, she has she's a nurse and then so she found this uh, you know uh, a job with um, Loma Linda um, hospital and then so she moved here to to the west coast <coughs> that sound that's that's a, <laughs> a really cool story um so when how old were you when you arrived in America 11 11 so that's a pretty young age how was it um can you like briefly just explain how it was growing up in Haiti what was um some of the things common to do as a kid um what were like the hours what time did you have to come in after dark or and, and just basically like childhood in Haiti in Haiti uh, um childhood in Haiti is very simple um fun very you know in a that we did not have a lot of the things that you know young kids have here in in the state so you know you 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 learn to use your own imagination to you know to entertain yourself um going to school you go to school in the morning and then you come home midday for lunch and then you go back to school and then you come home um around i'd say maybe two and then you do your homework and then you get to play but you don't well, as soon as the sun you know going down you know you can play outside you know with your friends with your cousins whatever but as soon as the sun is starting to get dark then you have to come in right you know yeah and you so eat dinner and then you, you you eat dinner and then you go outside to play nice how so what was um so for um neighborhoods vary right and so um what was it what were the dangers of maybe not coming in at night um what are some so like right now in america unfortunately there has been a lot of shootings um what would you say would be the common um danger to to that well, you know, being so young, you don't, you know, you don't think of dangers, you know, when you are, you know, playing outside. But um, grown-ups, you know, know better than you know than 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 you at that age, and then so they, you don't think of danger because it's a small town, you know. Right. right. Everybody knows everybody, you know. Um, it's basically like family. There are no real dangers. It's just that, you know, it's it's it's. But the, the thing is that because we did not have street lights, mm. so during the time when the when the moon is full, you know it's so bright. The sky is full of stars, and and the 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 moon is so bright. It's as though you have light, you know. So they let you play outside. But when there when the moon is is out, then it's really dark. You have no business being outside anyway. So you know you go inside and it's time you know to wash up and 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 you know for bed because you have already eaten you know and and and, and have your dinner and you go outside and play and then when it's dark you go inside but when the moon is full and there's plenty of light they let you stay out mm. a little bit later but you need to be in in bed by by 7 30 mm. you know 7 30 you know 8 o'clock you need to be in bed right um <clears throat> so um when coming to um, America, you, your family stayed in New Jersey, right? Is that where you grew up or, uh-huh. and uh-huh. so how was that? Um, where did you guys essentially move into a place? Was it a white neighborhood? Was it a Hispanic or black neighborhood? What was the, uh, the racial ratio? <clears throat> well, 
it was it was mostly it was I would say it was a mix of white and blacks but um my neighborhood was mostly blacks <clears throat> and then so yeah it was mostly blacks and when you go to school that's when you um you interact with african americans which are um don't have the same upbringing don't have the same um i don't want to say you know different from us because we're all blacks you know right but our culture our culture is different and then so um it was very difficult. It was really, really difficult because, you know, as um, a child from the islands, you know, um, I came at 11, so I still had to learn the English language, right. you know, and learning it, I still have, I still have an accent. So you really stick out, you know, you, it was very hard because I don't understand the language. I didn't quite understand the people, you know, they didn't really understand me. And then so, and I was super shy, you know, I didn't make friends very easily. And then so I had a really, really hard time. The, the African-Americans, you know, they gave you a really, really hard time because, you know, you're from a different place from them. Then growing up in New Jersey, uh, white Americans have a lot of, um, prejudice so they give you a hard time so I got it I got the prejudice from both sides from my own people mm. and then from you know um, white Americans and it was super super difficult because in my country there was no such a thing there is no I didn't grow up with prejudice you know everybody's right. my skin color you know um, I know everybody I was very happy and then coming here to this country, people um, uh, treat you differently because I was super skinny. Mm. Okay, so I got teased because I was super skinny. <clears throat> my skin is got dark, so I got teased because of you know my dark skin, my language, and and uh, it was it was really hard. I was really it was a really hard time for me. And when I I remember graduating from high school, it was the happiest day of my life. Mm having to leave yeah to leave high school so um in you know in i i find that you know growing up here you don't get um and then as an adult now you get um per, uh, 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 you get the, the racism even from um hispanics you know mm. it's, it's 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 not easy right so um, before I ask you a little more deeper questions on, on, uh, how it personally affected you racism, um, can we talk about real fast, just your, uh, your previous modeling career, correct? That it was, um, so when did you start modeling and when did that become, um, kind of a, a thought in your head that you said to yourself, Hey, this is something I can do. Um, yeah. When did that become a reality? When did you start? How was that like? I I started right after high school, and for me it was it was um it was kind of funny, and I didn't really take it you know seriously because I grew up um okay so going back home uh not not in my hometown you know but in my culture when I came here you know people that were lighter skin than me even though they are black 
they got you know a little bit more respect you mm. know than you and then, so even in my own family because i have two my two um sisters the older one and the younger one of the younger ones they their skin is lighter than me so you know my family friends would would you know call them pretty and mm. that as a matter of one of my dad's friends said that i was the ugliest um child that my parents had because my skin was darker than than you know the rest wow but when um yeah when i started college right after high school um i went to um you know fit um which is a a, a fashion design and, and business um uh, and, uh university in new york and so um a friend of mine said, you know, you, you should join the model workshop. And I was like, and I was like, huh, but, but what is that? And so he said, he was a designer. He said, I need you to model my, you know, um, my dress for the, you know, for the semester. And then so I was like, oh, you know, whatever. <laughs> and so, you know, he, yeah, he taught me how to, you know, how to walk. And then, you know, wow. my first show, I was like, you know, I didn't even think anything of it. I'm just, okay, this is what I do, you know, go up and down and, and come back. And, you know, everybody... You know, loved the way I walk. Everybody, you wow. know, loved the way I look. Da, 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 da. And then people just kept asking. But it was never something that I I thought about because growing up, thinking that okay, you're not beautiful. You know, you can't do this. You can't do that. You know, um, when you when you are placed in that position to do it, you just do it the best you can. But it is not something that you know you you, you think about. Okay, this is what I want to do. Because what I really wanted to do, you know, what after I graduated high school, I wanted to be a race car driver. But everybody told me, well, you know, you can't because you know you you're you're you girl, and for one thing, you you know you you're black. For another, mm. you know you you know, so many limit, wow. you know limitations. Yeah, and then so the modeling just fell in you know in my lap. But it's not something that I you know I pursued. And then after when you go to when you do a show you go to um after dinner parties and i meet different photographers who think that i i look you know awesome and wanted to photograph me and this and that it just fell on my lap mm. you know and i was able to make yeah to make money and and and, and this and that but it wasn't something that i, I planned on you know right um <clears throat> so um how did you how did you identify yourself as um an american did you identify yourself as a haitian did you identify yourself as a, a black american how would you describe um you what makes Russell metalus <laughs> you're gonna laugh <clears throat> I, I i there was a period of my of my of my life when here when people ask me you know where are you from blah blah and this and that you know, because when, whenever you tell people, yeah, I'm from Haiti, automatically they have so many, you know, uh, preconceived ideas, you know, that, oh, you know, you know, uh, you are, you're from a poor country and, you know, there is voodoo in your country, blah, 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 and this and that. And I would tell them, well, you know, there is, you know, Satanism, voodoo, Santaria, whatever you want to call it, you know. Um, everywhere in the world and poverty is everywhere in the world so when people would ask me where you are from I would tell them that I'm from earth so oh, I never wow. really think because growing up you know back home 
you people don't talk about age you know it is it's, it's just a number nobody really cares about that right. and people you know don't really ask you where are you from it's not a big you know it's not a big deal so when people ask me to that, that question i would say i just think of myself as a human yeah i think that's yeah, and, and, yeah, as a human wow that's i i got to hand it to you that's a really great way to um to to kind of simplify it. I think I kind of agree that we all, we focus so much on um, our differences when in reality we are all kind of the same. And um, yeah. it's when we focus on those differences, yeah, we, we can, we like to celebrate it, but at the same time, um, there is such thing as prejudice and racism. And so um, that's a, I think that was a really um, good, <laughs> gentle kind of like, um, I don't want to say slap in the face, but you know what I mean? Like kind of a, um, a, an interesting response. Um, that's really awesome. I got it. That's a, <laughs> I love that. Um, because it's, the, it's the truth. Both of my, both, I, I, I inherited both of the culture. So I can't say, you know, I'm, I'm only this or I'm only that, you know? And then, so I'm just, you know, just human. Right. Wow. That's. That's great, Rochelle. Um, so, going back to um, when you arrived to America as a little girl, um, do you remember what your feelings were like? Were you excited? Were you scared? How would you uh, describe your your uh, feelings? I, I, you know, I didn't want to leave. I didn't want to leave my country. Um, because I guess maybe because I didn't I didn't know what to expect here, you know, and I think the feeling was was um, I don't know maybe it was a, 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 a I don't even know how to you know how to say it maybe it was um, well founded the way that I was feeling not wanting to leave my country because when I came here <clears throat> to the state. I was not happy at all. The experience was not a good experience. Mm. And I never really, really felt at home for, you know, a very long time. You know, I never felt at home here. And I remember going back, you know, to um, Haiti in 1998. I I was like, yeah, this is home. This is really, really home. Wow. And um, I heard that a lot of, you know, blacks, when they go visit Africa, they feel... Like wow, yeah, this is home. You know, there's just something. There's a, there's a, a a union between you and your birthplace. You know, right. And uh. um, this is something I think that is divine because um, for whatever reason, when you go back to where you are, you were born. There's this connection. There's this this thing. You know, between this pull between you and 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 the earth that you are from. It's just, it's just something that I don't know how to describe except that, you know, it's divine. But that feeling of, of, of being in Haiti when I went there in 1998, I've never had that feeling here. Mm. Yeah. Right. So, Russell, I also want to talk on a little bit about your faith. You identify as a Christian, correct? Uh-huh. And so when, yes. so, so when did that... Um, when did you, I guess you could say, convert? Were you, were you raised in a Christian household? Um, did you find Christianity in America? And how has that um, helped you 
with um, kind of the struggles of, a, of adjusting to a new a new society? I I grew up in a Christian home. Um, my grandfather, my parents are Christian, so I had a really strong foundation of you know of Christianity, and um, my faith you know was built based on how I was raised you know by my grandfather basically, um, and so I would say that you know I I found you know Christ when I was very very young. And if it wasn't for my relationship with him, um, my life here in the States would not have been, um, I would not have been able to handle certain things that I've gone through. So, um, yeah, my faith and my, my relationship with God is, is that's my life. Mm. That's really touching. Um, <clears throat> so real fast i don't want to keep you up all night um so yeah because my battery is about to go out too <laughs> <laughs> all right so I'll, I'll try and wrap this up quickly um, has my charger <laughs> all right so real quickly um i just want to talk about kind of um just getting real deep about about um guy kind of some some hard things that you deal with and then we'll end on a lighter note but i want to make this real fast um how so obviously you've experienced kind of racial discrimination. Can you remember a time that it, I mean, it was just um, kind of blatant where you were like, wow, I, you know, I've kind of experienced this before, but this is really taking it to a new level. Uh, the racism? Yes. If, if oh any, goodness. yeah. Yeah. Uh, I remember, you know, living in Manhattan was like, when it comes to racism was the worst. Um, not to mention, you know, when I went to um, Boston being called a nigger in my face, mm. um, or, or you know, I, I remember um, applying for, you know, for jobs and they very excited, you know, to meet you and give you an interview. And as soon as I walked through the door, you know, you know the, the the surprise look and the position is filled. Mm. Yeah, or, or in 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 Manhattan, white people feel like okay they own this earth. Like if you are walking and you come face to face, like you come in opposite direction, you have to move out of their way so they can go through. Um, and if you don't, they physically hit you. I've gotten hit in the train. Oh, I've wow. gotten hit. In the, yeah, I've gotten hit in the street. Um, I have friends of mine that have their feet. Um, like uh, uh, one of my friend was standing in the corner waiting for the light to change. This woman roll over his uh, his foot with the, the, the card. They feel like, you know, and I'm not the only one. I've had there's this other black girl that got hit um, uh, by this woman's umbrella. They I got punched in my, in my arm by this white man. They just feel like they can do whatever they want to you. Mm. And that's one of the reasons why I left, you know, um, Manhattan and moved here, you know, to San Diego. But it's it's racism in New York, in New Jersey. It's just in your face. It's blatant. It's mm. not, you know, they don't really, you know, hide it. It's like, okay, this is what it is. You know, um, we have the right to treat you any which way we want. I've gone to restaurants um, where they refuse to serve us. Um, oh yeah, I've gone to places where, um, they, they make it clear 
that you know what yeah you're not welcome here and you need to leave wow. you know uh, oh yeah 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 and and you would think that this is you know back in the 50s and the 60s no this is like in the you know in the 80s you know right 80s 90s yeah so i mean yeah racism is is you have to be of a certain skin color you know to understand and appreciate you know what racism is like here in the united states i really like that you put that you said that actually because um my biggest thing is um i have people talk to me all the time and so um and i'm from uh the uh the wider i guess you could say i've been i've been growing up in a white kind of suburbs and um my only real um culture shock uh with experiencing people from different races was when i uh spent a week in harlem which was absolutely amazing i loved it um and that was kind of my only real experience being surrounded by a lot of um, immigrants and African Americans in, in that community. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I want to talk about kind of uh, current events and um, um, <clears throat> so growing. So okay, so we've talked about your experience in Haiti and growing up in New York and New Jersey and how it was like. I want to talk about um, currently because I have people, I have friends, I have uh, relatives who say. Um, that racism doesn't exist, that, um, you know, it's kind of this, it's been blown out of proportion. Um, and I just kind of want to hear your intake on, do you believe that in this current day and age is racism, um, I guess you could say prevalent to kind of answer those people's questions, uh, uh, beliefs that it isn't. You know, Gabriel, can you grab me the charger quickly? Because okay, so about my phone is about to die. Um, uh, you know, people are very much into themselves. We live in a very um, self-centered society where you know uh, your problem is your own, and I don't really have to. You know, uh, what you are going through has nothing to do with me. You know, right. so when people say racism does not exist is because they're not going through it they don't experience mm. it and so they are blinded by others you know when you look at someone like <clears throat> uh trevon martin who you know who got shot so many times a young a young boy you know it's like okay f- <laughs> why you know what i yeah. mean or, or or you know when a police stop you know, a black male and, and you have about 50 police, you know, on top of him, hitting him and kicking him. Oh, for and sure. He's, he's not armed, you know, how can you, how can you close your eyes uh, uh, to that, you know, or, you know, you, uh, you have Amadou Diallo who got shot uh, like 40 somewhat time. I have a personal friend of mine who got, he's, he, he, he's a student. He, um, he goes to, he used to uh, go to Rutgers University. Mm. And then he got stopped by the police and he got beat, beaten down uh, so bad by so many police and he got hit on his head. And until today, he was never, he's never, ever, ever the same, you know. So when you look at that, when you look and I, I can bet you if that has happened to their family members, they would not see racism mm. as something um that 
doesn't exist. It would not be a fairy tale. It would be very real to them because it has happened to them. In this country, wow. if something does not happen to you, you know, it's none of my business. I don't care. I don't see your needs. I don't see, you know, um, your troubles because they are not mine. And so it's really it's a sad reality um, because that's the society that we live in. Your problems is your own and it's not mine. I don't really care because it's not mine. You know what I mean? Right. And so when somebody look... Okay, so now I have my charger. Yay. <laughs> when somebody look at those things, you know, that happen, if you're not looking at your own, just your own self-interest, how could you possibly say that, okay, you know what? this doesn't, you know, exist. It's because it's not happening to them. Mm. You know what I mean? Right. So, you know, for example, um, I used to have a little ministry where, <coughs> excuse me, we go feed the homeless. And I have people tell me, well, you know, it's their own fault. You know, if they are in the streets, it's because that's where they want to be. Right? Oh, man. Yeah. That's but crazy. When you look, when you look at, the condition somebody live in the street, not being able to, you know, to take a shower when you need to, not being able to change into clean underwear, clean clothes, not to mention when it rains, you know, when it's freezing outside, right? Who in their right mind would want to live that way? You know what I mean? Right. And people don't put themselves in other shoes. You know, um, I've had people say, well, you know, if I if I can find a job, so can they. Not necessarily. Right. Not necessarily. And so, <clears throat> because we, we and you know, and, 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 and the Bible did say something of the sort that would come in a time where people have no love for each other. That people are going to be selfish, self-centered, you know. Um, self-serving and if they are not affected by a situation by a problem then it doesn't exist because it doesn't exist in their own lives mm. you know, it's the it's, it's, it's the it's the it's the narrowness if i may say so of the mind you know of the mindset that makes people think that way but when you have love it's because people have no love for each other they don't care about each other you know Oh, if you have love in your heart for someone, right? And you see them, you see their 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 situation, you see <coughs> excuse me, what they are going through, how can how can their 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 situation be a fairy tale? How could it not be a reality to you if you look at them and what they are going through? Mm. You know what I mean? So yeah. to those who say that racism does not exist is because when they go um, look for a job, they don't have to have the proper resume. They don't have to have the the, 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 the real, you know, um, experience. All they need is their skin color. Mm. And that will lend them the job. But for us black people, right? We need we need not just the experience, but we need um, the education. We need we need a thousand times more than what the average white person mm. has. There's this old man that says that you can be in a company, uh, working for this company, 
for your whole life if you don't have an education as a black person right right every every 20 year old white person that come to that company will be your your supervisor will be your boss hmm well, all they need is this. yeah that's that's honestly Russell I I Smile. I laughed when you said Trayvon, Trayvon Martin, not because of uh, I don't agree with you, but because that's literally everything that I've been trying to say in this book. And I just thought it was funny that you brought it up because that uh, the book is called Invisible Man Got the Whole World Watching a Young Black Man's uh-huh. Education. And the, I that title, by the way, you like it's the title? Beautiful. It's right. It's poetry. Um, And yeah. and so in Michael Smith's introduction he actually introduces um the Trayvon Martin case and how uh black boys in America are taught differently than white boys in America because black boys in America are faced with a daily realization that their lives are at stake when they go outside that they can't wear a simple hoodie because of um the reality that people typically white people think that they're a threat um so i just i just think that's really um, everything you have been saying, Russell, has been golden on more on topic than <laughs> I guess I um, have been. But so thank you for saying that. Thank you for um, just nailing it on the on the nose. Um, yeah, yeah, and, and you know, you know something else, Noah. It's how many how many races that okay you as a, you know as 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 parents you know as aunts. We have to give our kids instructions how to live. Right. How to how to how to handle themselves if they are stopped by the police. The 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 average white boy just get up in the morning, get dressed, get in his car, and go. He doesn't have to get instructions how to handle <coughs> how to handle himself when if he is stopped by the police in. In in my in my neighborhood in in Brooklyn, I remember um, a police came to um, to speak to the kids. A black cop he came to speak to the kids to give them instructions how to um, you know how to behave themselves in the event um, they get stopped by the police. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he introduced you know the the you know that that stick that they have in their hands. And he called it, I can't remember what he calls it, a baton, something like that. And all the kids said, no, that's the beating stick. And he said, no, that's a baton. No, that's a beating stick. Because all they do with it is beat people. It's beat people. Um, and, you know, in like, you know how their motto is to serve, right? Right. In our neighborhood... It is not to serve. They are not there to serve. They are there to harass. Like, for example, they can stop you. They can stop you. And you just, you, you follow the instructions that, you know, you've been given to a team. But what they start doing is they start cussing at you, throwing foul languages at you. Mm. I have a friend of mine. Um, he was going to school and he had a part-time job um, delivering pizza. And so, hey, if you see this guy, you know, with his heavy Haitian accent, there is nothing about him that says thug. There's nothing about him that says um, threat. Right. 
they would they would stab him and have him put his hands on the hood of the car. It was freezing below freezing degree. He has no gloves on, and he had to keep his hand on the cold on the top. I could tell you stories. Mm. Um, Lionel used to get stabbed every single night. Wow. In a neighborhood, trying to find a parking a parking spot, right? And he would get stabbed every single day without missing one. And when they stop you, right? Yeah. And it's not one. All of their hands are on their revolver, on their guns, right? And you have no idea whether you are going to live or if they are going to find a reason to shoot you. Mm. And so you... that is a that's a lot of a lot of pressure. And sometimes they pull the gun and they have that little red thing. You know, I don't know how you that little laser right pointing pointing at you, and you don't know if they're gonna shoot. You know, and you don't know if they're gonna let you live. And that's how we live every single day in Brooklyn. Wow. And so wait, did you say that that was your own son who every time he did you say that, that was your son or? No, it was Lionel. Oh, all right. Was, yeah. Okay, so, um, my, my, yeah, not my ex, but my husband. <laughs> yes, your ex-husband. Um, that's, you know, that, and so I, I hear that, and I find it baffling that people in today's society um, kind of turn a blind eye to the Black Lives Matter movement, um, and some people have kind of gone as far as to call it um, terrorist. Um, I just want to hear real fast your 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 belief on that. Do you agree? Do you disagree? Do you think it could be handled differently on the Black Lives Matter movement? Um, yeah, what's your your take on it? Oh, the the motto Black Lives Matter. Right. Well, I you know I really do think that um, it's it's a great thing, and I I should probably get a t shirt. <laughs> <laughs> That says Black Lives Matter because the way they treat black people in this country is as though, you know, you, let me tell you something. Yes, go ahead. I'm this all yours. In this country, right, white Americans know their rights. They know what they can get away with, right? Right. And the way they treat blacks here is as though we don't really matter. I remember I was a teenager and then there was this case that made me so angry. There's this white woman who had, was it three or four children? Um, I don't know if your, your parents might remember that case. She decided that she she wanted to, to, to go with this guy who did not like children. And then so she drowned her kids. Wow. Right? She drowned, yeah, she drowned all, all three of her, all, three or four boys. She drowned them, she killed them. And then so she gave the police the deposition and she gave a description of a, a black man. Wow. They went out and they arrested a black guy. Wow. Who had nothing to do with the case. He just because they believed no 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 she gave a description and they went to a neighborhood and they just grabbed a black guy and wow. if you notice if if you notice 
when they're looking for a quote-unquote suspect, right? Right. They will just tell you, they will say, okay, they, we're looking for black male, black male from uh, five, 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 uh, five, okay, usually five, ten, or five, five, seven to six something, right? Right. There's a big difference between somebody, somebody's height, five, seven, to six, six foot. A huge, a right? Huge, right. Of, Five seven to six six two, uh, uh, description black male five seven to six two, a hundred and, uh, and ten pounds to two hundred and something pounds, big difference. Huge. Which tells you that any black male will do. Right. Just grab a black male, yeah. And I remember at that time when she did that, we were all upset. You know, me and my my you know my my small group of friends because one of them, and he was really upset. And he said. That could have been me, you know, because that looks like me, you know. Right. But they oppressed it. And she, I don't know, God is good. That guy m- must have had somebody praying for him. And she came out and she, 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 she recanted and she took back the words and said that you know she's actually the one. When they found out, you know, I can't remember all the details of the of the investigation, but she had to um to to admit to the fact that she's the one who drowned her kids that she knew. Mm. She knew that they would have found a black guy to blame it on, and that's why she gave the story. Wow. Um. Yeah. So that is um, great. That um, thank you so much for for doing this. Um, I am. My pleasure. Yes. Thank you so much for being on the show, uh, Rochelle. Um, my blog. I'm actually running a blog, and on on the nice. book, on the book. Um, it's to capture the attention um, that racism and you know why America is racist. It's a very um, kind of blunt title, but at the same time, the the goal for this project is to um, get people to read this book. So, mm-hmm. um, and you have been just nailing it and just hitting everything that I've been wanting to say and ask um, perfectly. So thank you for that. Um, the blog is called. Um, and it's basically called Why America is Racist, and that is imgtwww.blogspot.com. So feel free to uh, log in, people who are listening, um, to really understand and grasp uh, that, hey, um, you know, racism still exists, whether you believe it or not, um, that we have to put ourselves in other people's shoes and not be so narrow-minded as, um, kind of Americans can be. Um, we, you know, we do have the stereotype in the world that, you know, we are kind of selfish and, and to some extent that is true. So change starts with us. Change starts with people who are out there and who are, um, advocating for those, um, for the people who are unheard. Um, justice for the, uh, you know, the people who are, who need it the most. And so, um, that's why we're having this blog. That's why we're having this discussion. So I just want to, uh, thank Rissell Metalus for, uh, allowing me to interview you today. Um, thank you, Rissell. Thank you for having me. Yes. Thank you so much for all you, you have been a complete and total help. And that concludes today's episode of the nonfiction podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Noah Palafox. Good night.